This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov slash MCTV. Three, two, one. Connection provides opportunities to learn from each other because everyone has a story. Hi, my name is Luke Jimmy. I'll be your host today. Today, we'll be meeting with Paul White, and he'll be talking about his book, Answer Discovery, How to Change the World by Helping Others and Ourselves. So, Paul, tell me about how you first started this book. Yeah, so I was really inspired, and, and thank you, Luke, for, for having me here today. Uh, I became very inspired to share this concept I came up with, and, and the concept was based on uh, the fact that my life experiences have showed me that all of us uh, never experience a challenge or a problem that someone else hasn't previously solved. And in the solving of it, they solved it with what could become a life principle for us. And so I realized that we don't have to reinvent the wheel when we're trying to solve problems, that one of the things we can do is find someone who's already solved the problem or challenge that, we're happen, that, that we happen to be experiencing and that we can take and utilize them to help us solve our problem. And they're helping others, and then we can uh, actually utilize that to help other people ourselves. So um, it's it's kind of this concept of of um, someone helping us and us helping others. And I just love that concept because in my life I've realized that helping other people brings joy, uh, consistent and long-term joy. And when we're serving others and helping others, we're loving others. And, and it's a wonderful way to live life each and every day. So in this book that I've written, that's yet to be published, uh, and I can explain that later, uh, but in this book, I decided that uh, the way that people could come together is if there was something that could connect them. So I created this building called the Answer Discovery, and that's the name of the book, How to Change the World by Helping Others and Ourselves. And this building is a place when someone uh, just cannot figure out this challenge or this problem they have and they're getting frustrated and everything. It's a place they can go, and when they go to the building, there isn't anyone there, but the building communicates with them, and what it does is it connects them and has them meet 
with another individual away from the building. And so the person with the challenge goes and meets this person, and this person shares that they've already experienced the same problem or challenge that this person is having, and that they found the solution. The solution was provided to them by someone else, and now they're paying it forward. And so they provide the solution, and they have evidence that there's been enough time that's gone by with the solution that uh, there, there's—it's um, become a principle for them that works in life. And the whole theory of the book is that once this person gets the solution, takes action, putting the solution and this principle to work in their life, then at some point down the road, they'll be asked by the answer discovery uh, to help someone else. And, um, you know, a lot of this thought process was based on um, the fact that a lot of times when we're, we're struggling, when we go to help others, it gives us a chance to see things from a, a new perspective, through a new set of eyes. When we're helping other people and, and seeing, trying to help them solve things, we end up helping ourselves. And that's why it says how to change the world by helping others and ourselves, because there's always a benefit from helping others. And if we get to a point in life that we're frustrated um, and, and, you know, we're, we're struggling to find the answer, a lot of times taking a break and helping other people uh, is, is just really good therapy for ourselves. And we end up helping ourselves because we helped others. Wow. What did you get from, from your book? So what can someone get from the book? Yes. Um, you know, so what I did was I created nine stories okay. that uh, actually in the book they're called gifts um, because... Gifts require, when someone gives you a gift, it, it's kind of required, if it's a wrapped gift, that you unwrap it, open it up, and then put it into action or, or use the gift that you've been given. And so many times when people try to help us sometimes, uh, we never get to the action part. So uh, in the book, there's really uh, an emphasis on a call to action. If you want to solve this problem, there needs to be action on your part. And so I'm really big on trying to get people to first understand how this gift can benefit their life and their emotional life and, and um, you know, their, their uh, connections around the community. And then... It happens when they begin to take action. So when people take action, um, then things begin to change. And what each of these nine gifts do, what each of these nine stories do, is really offer a new perspective. So it, it kind of helps people who are looking at this problem from this angle. It helps walk them around to the other side so that they're seeing it from a different angle. Sometimes we're so close to a, a challenge or a problem that we have that it takes someone else to show us that, have you ever considered looking at it from over here? 
And when you have a new perspective and you look at things through a new set of eyes, it's amazing how it looks different. And it allows you to understand a little bit better um, what the solution could be. Wow. Very interesting. Um, where, where can we learn more? Well, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I finished this book a year ago and had it professionally edited, um, but it hasn't been published yet, and there's a reason for that. I could have self-published, and I chose not to because I have this vision that this book can change lives, and by changing lives, I mean it can change the world. It can help people improve their lives if they'll take these nine principles or, or these nine stories and, and weave some of them into their current life. And so I'm attempting to get published by a large publisher who's going to help me market this book so that I can obtain the reach that will help me reach the maximum number of people that I can because I truly believe in this, this book and this vision I have and what the book can represent uh, in helping people and, and how we can change the world. So I've got these wonderful seeds that I want to plant within people and, and the stories help fertilize and water and nurture those seeds so that they'll grow uh, inside of people and, and within people so that they can go out and help others. And just think of the world that we could create if people were approaching their problems and everything, um, seeking help from others. And there were these connections that we made and those connections continued to grow and more and more people um, we're being helped by more and more people. It's kind of like the butterfly effect where it just continues to grow and grow and grow until we've created this huge force of positive and of good that can help the world. Has the book been published yet? No, and, and so I'm, I'm attempting to find the right path to publishing uh, so that I can have the maximum impact um, in terms of the number of people. And I'm prepared at this point to support this vision through trying to talk to as many people as I can. And, and that's why it's such a privilege to be talking with you today. Uh, you're actually helping me because people will see the message um, that we have and, and the message that I'm trying to promote of the benefits of helping others and how that helps ourselves. Thank you, Paul. I will be today. Yeah. Yeah. So that was Paul White talking about the answer discovery. If you want to check out Facebook page, please check Facebook page at 321 Connection. Hi, I'm your host, Luke Dimmery. Today we'll be talking to Marcy Post about the miracle field in Midland. So, Marcy, tell me about how you first got into this project. 
Um, so thanks for having me, by the way. Um, we first got into this project many years ago. Um, when the loons came to town, there was some talk about bringing Miracleville to town. Um, and then it didn't, it didn't happen at that point. Um, and then we had talked about it through the Parks and Recreation Department um, probably six or seven years ago. And again, um, we decided at that point we weren't ready for this. Uh, and then in 2018, uh, we decided that it was time for us to bring in um, the Miracle Field. And so we started doing site visits. So we visited Southfield, which is the site of uh, Michigan's first Miracle Field and the, the country's second Miracle Field. And we visited Plymouth because they also have a Miracle Field. And so um, through that process, I've been to all of the miracle fields in the state, um, looking at their facilities and getting an idea of what they uh, had to offer. Um, and then we actually, uh, with the help of our designer, came up with a really great plan. And so we're almost done building our miracle field and we're going to be opening our field in three weeks. Wow. So we're That's really amazing. excited. It is amazing and it's yeah. also terrifying at the very same time. So what inspired you to have this miracle field? Um, what inspired me was um, I actually had a son who was born with a disability and a friend of mine um, while I was in the hospital brought me a video of her nephew playing the miracle field in Cincinnati and the it was just a live video of the kiddo playing um, and his name was Charlie and um, once I saw that video I thought yes this is something that I need to do I need to build a miracle field in Midland so that kids have a place to play baseball who might not be able to play uh, on a regular traditional baseball field or maybe because um, of safety reasons because um, as kids get older they start to bat really hard and they start to pitch much faster which could cause some safety concerns for some of our athletes. Wow. What kind of safety issues do happen? Um, well, we don't want anybody to get hit with the ball. Um, so for equipment in our Miracle Field, we actually have a couple of different kinds. So if I know somebody is going to bat um, and, and, and hit really hard, we might give them a different ball. They might get a wiffle ball um, also so they not, they're not hitting it over the fence for a home run because our fence is 115 feet. Or we might give them a different bat to use uh, just again so that it um, if it does hit somebody, it's a very soft ball or it's a, not as hard so that's some of the the um, you know the changes that we're making to make sure that it's safe for everybody Wow when will the miracle field open the miracle field will open on Saturday May 14th so this spring we'll have a six-week season so we'll play uh, every Saturday the, the teams will play I've got four teams this year um, we'll play Saturdays uh, from May 14th to June 25th and then we'll also have various groups in the city using the field as well such as Special Olympics and some of the um, the t-ball kids from the Northeast Little League and the Northwest the fraternal Northwest Little League as well. That's really fun. Yes. So Special Olympics, how does that work? Um, we're still working out how that will work, but I think they'll just um, have use of the field on Tuesday nights because they have a really fantastic softball team, and so this will give them an opportunity to play in a uh, accessible, universally accessible space. Wow. Yeah. When can I learn more from the Miracle Field? 
Um, you can learn more on our website. So um, that's uh, cityofmidlandmi.gov uh, forward slash Miracle Field. Um, but we also have a Facebook page that a lot of people have been interacting with. Um, and I'm happy to give tours of the Miracle Field for anybody that might want to check it out um, when it's not under construction. Um, and we can um, we can certainly talk with anybody who might have more um, more questions. Um, they can just call the Parks and Recreation Department. Wow. So is there any fun stuff that could happen? Um, oh, yes. I am the fun department. And so in addition to baseball, we'd like to do some additional activities at the Miracle Field. And so we'll start with baseball, but I think we're also going to try to do some other sports. We may try to work with um, Top Soccer to maybe have them come out for a day and use the field. I'm thinking about um, maybe um, we had talked about maybe some basketball. I could roll some hoops in and we could we could easily play basketball out there. But also I'd like to do a movie in the park so I can set up a movie screen and everybody can come in and lay out their blankets and hang out right there on the field and watch a movie at night. I can do really fun. I Thank think it would be fun. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. And as always, if there's any other questions that people can just call us right at Parks and Recreation. Right. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm your host, Luke Denright. This is Mostly Post. Uh, check out our Facebook at Theater One Connection. Hi, my name is Luke Denright. I'll be your host today. We'll be talking to Heidi Kidd talking about broadcasting and journalism. So Heidi, welcome. Hey Luke, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate this. You're welcome. So when you first started broadcasting and journalism, what got you into it? Great question. Well, I went to Northwestern University for my undergraduate degree. But I, want, I knew I wanted to go into journalism, and I didn't have any experience. That's always the hard thing, is getting experience, which is great that you're doing this today. Um, so I went through Northwestern's one-year master's program, and it really helped me with my writing and learning how to be on camera and also behind the camera. We did the, the videography as well and the sound and all that. And then we got practice doing our interviews so that we would be able to put something on the air and my goal was to go into television news reporting and of course I didn't have any experience so the nice thing about this one-year program in Northwestern was that we got help with our writing we would write articles and our professors were um, actually journalists in the field they were uh, like a couple of mine were from the Chicago Tribune and so you'd get your news article back that you would practice writing and it would have a lot of red marks on it because I had a lot of mistakes but that's how you learn, right? When you make mistakes, you learn from your professors. And then I was assigned the next semester, or we were actually on quarters. We had three quarters. The next quarter, I was assigned a beat in Chicago, and mine was the court system. So I would go to the courthouse every day and re 
um, report on stories, and again, they critique our writing. And um, the next semester, uh, we actually got to use all the equipment. That's when we started using the television cameras and um, just being able to be on all sides of, of a story. And finally, um, we were sent to Washington, D.C. That was the best part because I got to have an actual station that I was doing stories for. So I was in Washington, D.C., but I was reporting for a station that was in Wisconsin. And at that time, the Farm Bill was big in, um, in the U.S., and so I was doing all kinds of stories for my station, which was back in Wisconsin, um, getting these stories in Washington, D.C. So I'd interview the senators and the, and the, the reps from, from Wisconsin. And the great thing was those stories would air back in Wisconsin. So at the end of my, my quarter, uh, three months that I was in D.C., I had a resume tape of 10 or 12 stories. So that actually helped me get my first job because the hardest thing was to get on-air experience in order to say to a news director, hey, you should hire me. And by the way, here's my resume tape. So that was great experience. Wow. So what inspired you to be a TP reporter? Oh, goodness. It's funny you should ask that because when I was little, a girlfriend of mine and I, when we were young, we'd have a little cassette recorder. I don't even know if you remember what tapes are, little cassettes. And I would do a news show, and it was just audio. It was just the recording. And I think that was the beginning of me wanting to do something in news. But I kind of put it on the back burner. I really didn't do anything with it growing up. Um, I thought for a while I was going to go into to law. and um, but But... I admired like Barbara Walters, you know, there were people on television, not as many women back then because this was in the, the 70s, um, early 80s, but uh, I just, I like to be on camera, I like to um, interview people, I liked human interest stories more than I liked the controversial stuff, which you got to be able to ask the hard questions in, in news, but I love the human interest stories and I love the creativity of it. I really love the photography part of it, taking the video. I enjoyed being on camera, but I more so enjoyed the creative part of putting the video together with my photographer. We'd work as a team, and I just loved that. So you have to have the video to match the story. So if you went out on a story, say you went to some event, you'd have to um, tell the story with pictures. It's different than um, newspaper where it's just print and you write the words different than radio, which is just sound. You know, you just need to hear, have voices. But for television, you had to have the pictures, the video to show it, because you can't tell the story with your words unless you have the video to show it. So that was, I love that creative part. Wow. What kind of stories have you done? Hmm, I had a whole variety. So I would come in in the afternoon. I worked the 2 to 11 shift, which was really late at night. <laughs> Obviously, I wouldn't get home till like midnight. Um, but, but I was a young reporter. So my first, my first job actually was in um, Rochester because that was a smaller market than Buffalo. Um, I was living in Buffalo, but I had to commute to Rochester. So I'd go three to four days a week and then come back um, to Buffalo. Finally, after working in Rochester for almost maybe a year, I got my job back in Buffalo, I'm sorry, from Rochester to Buffalo. And I worked at News 4 Buffalo. And it was a CBS affiliate. And 
I had all kinds of stories. So I'd come into the newsroom in the afternoon, you know, a little before two, and the assignment desk editor would say, okay, here's a possible story, and they'd give me some idea. Maybe I was going to interview some political person, or maybe there was a celebrity that came to town, or maybe there was a human interest story on that day, or a parade, you know, something going on. But the crazy thing was, I could be working on a story, and then say it was an hour before the story was going to go on the air, and all of a sudden, sudden, something would break out, like maybe there'd be a, a huge fire at a warehouse or something. So then I would go to that location and I would have to go live, meaning there would be nothing that we would record, we would just go live. And I would have the microphone and I would tell as much of the story as I could with, say, for instance, the burning building behind me. Those were the days where you didn't have as much social media as we have now. So that was a big deal to go live. It was very nerve-wracking because you'd want to have information correct and all that. But um, it could change from moment to moment. I might work on a story all day and then, boom, it changed at the last minute because you wanted that breaking news right as the 6 o'clock news came on. So I usually work towards a, a story at 6 o'clock, and then another story at 11 p.m. Wow. What was the most scariest thing that happened? Oh, uh, one time I had a story. Well, the, the fires are always kind of scary, but usually those were under control. The most volatile story or kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> the one that made me the most nervous was um, we had a story or a day when somebody was holding a couple people hostage inside a building. And so I was outside that building with my news crew all day. Thankfully, the police that were really well trained were able to talk this guy down that was holding these hostages. And the hostages were released and finally um Everybody got out of the building and nobody was, you know, injured. That was just a miracle. But, um, wow. yeah, it really was. But I, I more so enjoyed just, like I said, the human interest stories. I had one once about a little girl that had had a heart transplant, and I interviewed the mom before they went in for the, um, the heart transplant. And almost a year later, I went back to their house, and the little girl was doing so much better and breathing better, and it was just amazing. So I like to do those human interest stories where it had kind of a happy ending. Well, thank you, Heidi Kid, for, for being here today. Thank you for asking me great questions. I hope this was helpful to you. I really enjoyed my career in television. So thanks for letting me share a little bit about it with you today, Luke. You're welcome. I also want to thank all the other people that came today. Thank you for coming. And thanks for Heidi Kid talking about broadcasting and journalism. If you want more information, go to our Facebook page One Connection. I'm your host, Luke Jumai, signing off. This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. 
The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov slash MCTV. We hope you enjoy the following presentation.